Good morning. You know what I hate? Masks. You know who I love? You. And our elders do as well. And that is the primary reason why they have not forced you, but have encouraged masks. Do they work? Depends on who you ask, right? Google, do mask work on the internet, and you'll get 50 articles that tell you absolutely and 50 articles that say no way. It's chaos. We're not real sure. And so we request that you wear them. This is not a political agenda. This has nothing to do with conspiracy theories, but everything to do with hopefully containing this and not having it spread throughout our congregation. That's why we're doing this. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you to all those who are watching online that uh, are are more vulnerable members, those who don't feel comfortable being here. we're, We're glad that you're tuning in as well. This is a day that we had been anticipating as being the day that we opened back up with no restrictions. Bible class, Sunday morning, Sunday evening. Alas, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. So, we're going to kind of do plan B this morning and still look at a lesson that I'd been saving for this day. Although it takes on a little bit different tone and tenor, I still think it's applicable. I know we all missed some things during this pandemic while we were sheltering at home, right? I don't know what you miss the most, but this is what I miss the most, being together. Do you know how difficult it is to preach to an empty auditorium? And I did that week in, week out. Jake did that. Blake did that. It's difficult. I sit in front of a camera every week and record our television program, but I know what to expect there. It's not natural to stand up here behind this pulpit and look out and see nobody in the audience. I rely on looking out and seeing Eddie nod his head. I I rely on looking out and seeing Tim sleeping. I rely on that. That's expected for me. I want reaction from you guys. And I I would tell a joke and it wouldn't land, except Luke would be in the sound booth laughing. But other than that, there was nobody to give me any feedback. So I'm glad that we're back together, even if it's under limited circumstances. If you're like me, you have to admit that this whole crisis and time apart has had some positives. I mean, worshiping in our pajamas was kind of cool for a couple of weeks. Getting to spend time and worship with my family was a bonus because I don't ever get to do that, really. So it was nice to be able to worship with them. There are some other positives that we gained from this. There were some things that that maybe we didn't realize until we hit the pause button or the pause button was hit for us. Hopefully, we realize more than anything that we need this, that we need to be together, that this is needed. This is relational. Christianity is a relational religion. This is all about our relationship with God and others. It's why the first two commandments are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the foremost, right? Because we need each other. Church is plural. It's we, not me. And this separation has given us more than enough time to recognize this and to long for it. You know, on our staff, we have an IT guy named Aaron Appleby. And many of you know Aaron. He grew up here. Aaron now lives in Dallas, but still handles all of our IT issues, and I'm glad he does, because I, for one, am not capable of handling IT issues. There are many times that before I take a baseball bat to my computer, I will call Aaron and just say, hey, can you help me? And he will get on remotely onto my computer, 
And he'll open some things and close some things. Eventually the screen will go black and then it'll turn back on and, and everything's fixed. And more than once I've asked Aaron, so what'd you do? And he says, I don't know. I just turned it off and started it again. So now before I call Aaron, I try restarting my computer. And you'd be amazed how many times that fixes the problem. That's kind of what we're doing here. We're hitting restart. It reminds me of something that I focused a lot on when I was coaching basketball. It's called transition game. If you know anything about basketball, transition game is when you get the rebound or you make a steal on defense and you're trying to turn defense into offense. And so you're trying to get down the floor as quickly as possible, fast breaking, trying to create numbers so that you have an advantage. And sometimes the other team gets back as quickly as you do. And so you don't have an advantage. And when that happens, you reset everything. You throw the ball out front, you get it to your point guard, he holds it and he says, reset, reset. That's what we're doing. After this whole pandemic, we're going to be resetting and we're starting that process right now. Even though we're back together under restrictions and all those kind of things, we're still starting the reset process. But here's the question. As we move to getting back to normal, what parts of normal do we want to get back to? Let me put it this way. How much normal? do we want to get back to? I mean, we've learned some things. This whole pandemic has taught us some things. We've learned that we don't need sports. Man, I miss sports. I missed March Madness this year, but I learned I don't need it. I don't need sports. David is just clenching his teeth right now. Sorry, David. I mean, we, we need you. We just don't necessarily need sports, right? But we're going to get sports back, right? There's some other things that we've learned as well. We've learned that toilet paper can be a national currency. We've learned that staying at home and sheltering in place is a good thing until we're told we have to do it. We don't mind being in isolation when we get to choose it, right? We've learned, hopefully, that we need our church family more than we ever thought we did. And there's a pretty good chance that while we were sitting at home, sheltering in place, we ask the question, when will things get back to normal? And that's a valid question. And as we start, hopefully, to move towards normal, I think it's necessary to ask ourselves, how much normal do we want to keep and how much normal do we want to discard? In the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a garden and a task to govern the world on God's behalf. And as we all know, Adam and Eve usurped God's authority. They failed miserably in this task. They listened to the voice of the serpent over the voice of God. And God boots them out of the garden. God banishes them from paradise. And he gives their descendants an opportunity to right the ship. He turns to Noah and his family. And Noah and his family did okay, but everybody else usurped God's authority. And so God hit Control-Alt-Delete and started over. So he goes to Abraham and, and to Israel, and he makes a covenant, and he gives a law, and he, and he, sees, uh, he sees Israel in Egypt in exile, and he, he delivers them, he rescues them. But if you know anything about the history of Israel, they were usurpers as well, and they always went back to their heritage. When they wanted a king to be like the nations around them, God reluctantly relented. And gave them a king. And from Saul to David and on down the line, there were some good kings. There were some bad kings. But all of them at one point went back to their heritage. They were all usurpers in some way, shape, or form. 
God eventually tries to bring Israel into compliance by putting them in exile. They came back out of exile and returned to normal, and normal wasn't a good thing. And so God enters the final phase of his plan, which was to bring the anointed one, the Messiah, the king. And so Jesus comes through Mary and Joseph and does exactly what God expected him to do. He carries out God's will precisely, and yet the usurpers thought that it would be better if they removed him from the picture. But God wasn't done. God taught the usurpers and all of us a lesson by saying they won't have the last laugh. Death will not win here either. And so God raised Jesus from the dead to prove to the usurpers and to death that they don't win. Each time God hit Control-Alt-Delete and did a force quit, the people responded by rebooting. But as I said, it never took them long to get back to normal. And for them, normal usually meant usurping God's authority. Depending on the standard of measurement you use, normal is not always a good thing. You think about what normal means for us. When we were sitting in exile thinking about normal, what was it that we wanted to get back to? Work? School? Sports? Entertainment? Shopping? Eating? Right? Leisure time? Those were the things that we missed. That was normal for us. And all of that got shut down. Maybe, maybe you didn't lose your job, but I, I bet your job changed in some way, shape, or form. No sports, no going to the movies, no state parks, no going to school, very little social interaction, almost no shopping, no eating out in the actual restaurant. Our normal was snatched away from us almost overnight. But how many of the things on our normal list have the capacity to divide us and draw us away from what's most important in our lives? So maybe this wasn't such a bad thing. If you're like me, I have a hard time hitting the pause button, but the pause button got hit for us. Psalm 46 and 10 reads, be still and know that I am God. That's one of the hardest things for me to do and maybe for you as well. But Babylon got shut down, didn't it? And we were forced to rethink some things, to reflect on some things, to reconsider some things, right? And hopefully in those still moments, we took time to consider what it's going to mean when we return to normal. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Trevin Wax, and Trevin Wax came up with uh, some things that he posted on a blog post recently called, Do We Really Want to Go Back to Normal? Here's what he said in it, in a series of what-ifs. What if this pandemic was a divine disruption that allows us to rethink ourselves, our lives, and our habits? What if this crisis is a divine opportunity to reflect on what matters most and order our lives accordingly? What if we can now have the opportunity to create and cultivate a new normal? What if we have the opportunity to reset our expectations, refocus our attention, and recommit to people and the mission? What if our complete reliance on technology helps us to see the limits of this technology for building and sustaining community? You know, one thing that you learn from all the biblical resets that we read about in the Bible is that it didn't take long for people to return to normal. And again, normal wasn't always a good thing. If you, can, if you want to, you can turn to the book of Haggai. We're going to be there in just a few moments. I want, to, I want to ask you this. What was the favorite thing that you did during this time of quarantine? What was your, what was your favorite activity? Some of you maybe uh, binge-watched something on Netflix. Um, maybe you spent more time with your family. Maybe you read 
Maybe you took a nap. Maybe you slept more. I don't know what it was, but I hope that many of you took time to reflect on how much you missed this and miss being together, as I know I did. Like I said, those first couple of weeks was kind of a nice little vacation, but that got old real quick. And hopefully it did for you as well. Maybe, maybe you've understood in all of this how much you miss interaction. I can imagine that when God's people were sitting in Babylonian exile, they had a lot of time to reflect and to reminisce and to reconsider their actions. I imagine that as they were sitting in exile, they thought about all the things that they would do when they got back to normal. Look with me at verses 1 through 5 of Haggai chapter 1. It says, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Now Haggai comes onto the scene at about 520 B.C., Exile has happened for about 70 years. It's continued for about that long. And since that time, the Babylonian Empire has been overpowered. And now Persia was ruling the world. And the Persians allowed the return of any exiles who wanted to go back to Jerusalem and start their life again. And so under the leadership of the high priest Joshua and a man by the name of Zerubbabel, there were some Israelites who went back to Jerusalem. They went back home. And you can read about the details of this in Ezra chapters 1 through 6 sometime if you'd like. But homes were built, stores were opened, crops were being harvested, life was returning to normal. But there was a major problem. And the major problem was that the foundation for God's house had weeds growing up around it. The people had ignored the house of the Lord while they got busy on all their own activities. And so Haggai comes onto the scene kind of like a construction foreman with a hard hat and a tool belt around his waist and says, look, you got to get to work. You've been spending so much time focusing on your own personal lives, but the house of the Lord is lying in ruins. And the people respond by saying, well, it's just, it's just not time yet. You know, we've got other things going on. We've got to get our own houses built. We've got to get business up and going. And then we'll tend to that. What they actually said is, the time has not yet come. In verse 5, there is a phrase that forms the thesis of Haggai's entire message. And it's repeated several times throughout his message. And it's these words, consider your ways. Haggai is saying, consider your ways. Don't read past this. Don't look over the fact that the people came back from exile and they had nowhere to worship. Because they refused to build the temple. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. God's people had forfeited the opportunity to worship. They got back home and they got right back to normal, which wasn't a good thing, right? They spent all their time on their paneled houses. And by the way, paneled houses in the original language means that they were paying attention to every minute detail of that house. They didn't just throw up a hut as a shelter. No, they built an elaborate house and they focused on all the little details of that house. 
And Haggai says, you've had time to do that. What do you mean you don't have time to rebuild the house of the Lord? Notice verses 5 and following. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky was, has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land and on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, and on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and all the labor of your hands. In other words, it was a failed reboot. And what do you do when your reboot fails? You do another one, right? And you continue to reboot and and hope that it works, right? God hits Control-Alt-Delete again. And he grabs their attention by diminishing all those things that they had been focusing on. Because they, they, it never occurred to them that God would provide all those things they were working so hard to provide for themselves if they would just make priority one, rebuilding the temple. And so they, they, they labor and they work, but they get nothing out of it. They do all these different things in order to make a living, and everything gets shut down. Babylon got shut down. And when they come to Jerusalem, they start working, they start returning to normal, and God shuts that down. And he says, it's time to get to number one job, and that is rebuilding the temple. You know, in a very real sense, the book of Haggai is a mirror. And we look into this mirror and we see a reflection of God's people today. Because we are exiles. We are longing to go home. And while we're here, it's it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get caught up in the ways of Babylon, right? That means that we have to constantly be considering our ways. And we've had the opportunity to do that lately. Babylon got shut down. And many of the things that distract us were taken away. And hopefully in their absence, we got back to what matters most. The question becomes, now what? Now what? What happens next? How does a shutdown of Babylon change us? You know, at 29,029 feet, Mount Everest is the highest point in our world. And some 4,000 people have paid for the experience to try to summit Mount Everest. Not everyone has made it. There's been some 300 that have passed away doing so. All of them have paid for the experience, somewhere around $40,000, and an average of 64 days out of your life in order to do this. But many have been successful. Some have not, obviously. And you think, why? Why would anyone pay that much money and take that much time away from their lives to do this? And I I imagine it's kind of like why somebody would run a marathon. You know, you just, for that experience, it puts you in a rare group, right? To finish a marathon, to climb Everest. 
Do you think it's more dangerous climbing up Mount Everest or down it? Actually, more people have died descending Mount Everest than they have climbing up it. And there's a lesson there for us. Today isn't the mountaintop experience we wanted it to be. But it's coming. There's going to be a day when we get to the top of the mountain and we can have Bible class again. We can, we can have worship on Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And we can have Bible classes and devotional on Wednesday night. And we can get back to normal. That's going to be our high point, right? But when we're coming down off that mountain, what's going to happen? The lesson here is we have to be extra careful coming off a high place. One thing we know about storms is they come and they go. And eventually this pandemic is going to be over. Eventually we're going to reach our high point and eventually we're going to come down off of it. Then what is normal going to look like? Because it's going to be easy to get back into this routine of coming to church or, or deciding on Saturday night whether we want to go or not. It's going to be easy to categorize church like we've done all along. It's going to be easy to come and then go home and it never really changes. And church just becomes one more routine in our daily routine. What are we going to do? How much normal do we want to get back to? Consider your ways. And understand, folks, that we are the temple. We are the church. It's us. God's glory dwells in us, the church. The building is not the temple. The stones that, that make up this building, they're not living. We are. We are the temple. We are the church. We are, we are the ones who are building something great. Have you noticed that when Paul or Peter speaks about the temple in the New Testament, they always speak of it as a construction project? We are being built up. We're not completed yet. There is a sense in which the house of the Lord still lies in ruins. Unity is lacking at times. Truth and falsehood need to be exposed. Love and compassion need to be expressed. Faithfulness needs to be a priority. If this is the place where the Spirit of the Lord dwells, then we must give this temple undying loyalty and commitment. But all too often, we get busy with our paneled houses, don't we? And we get caught up in the ways of Babylon, and we forget or we ignore the temple. And that cannot happen. Right now, many of us are easily distracted. We're distracted by the chaos that's going on in our world. And we're reacting in ways that is unchristlike. You notice that? Jesus people don't do that. You know what Jesus people do? They focus on the goal. They focus on being Jesus until Jesus returns. They focus on the mission and the gospel. Our world is as divided as it's been in a long time, maybe ever. And many of us are just buying into the narrative. We're buying into the, to the divide. Why? We should be unified. We should be together in all this. We need to be fixing our eyes on Jesus and not politics and the things going on around us because politics is becoming an idol to us. To the point that we're allowing it to shape and dictate who we are as Christians and it should be the other way around. As a child of God, your faith should shape your politics, right? And it should shape the way that you live your life. Quit buying into the narrative of the world around you. 
Quit getting caught up in mask or no mask and keep your eyes fixated on the author and perfecter of your faith. Be Jesus people doing Jesus stuff until Jesus comes back, right? Thank you. At some point, we're going to reach the top of this mountain. This pandemic's going to be over. And when we come down off of it, how are we going to be? Who are we going to be? How did this pandemic change us? Hopefully it changed us for the good. Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day, for another opportunity. We thank you that we just get to be together, albeit with restrictions and in a limited way. But we thank you so much that we are the temple. And may we remember that we are the temple everywhere we go, not just here. May we consider our ways, and may we be who you would have us to be always, being a light in the world, seeking to change the world, and be different from the world. It's in your son's precious name we pray, amen. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. I do want to say before he comes up and does that, my family and I are going to get away for a little while. Uh, we had had this vacation planned for quite some time. Uh, next week, Noah has the, uh, has the task of pulling this off, the two services. I have no doubt you can do it, buddy, and he will do a great job. So be here for that. That's going to be great. The next week, we're doing our Senior Sunday on Sunday morning. Um, since we don't have Sunday nights right now, I will deliver the message on that Sunday evening, but we'll have Senior Sunday that Sunday morning. So you're not going to hear from me a while for a while, and that's probably a good thing. You're not going to see me for a little while. I'm going to treat this as a sabbatical, and we are going to go away. And would you do this for me? When, when I get back, would you have all this solved? Could you do that? You know, when I get back, could you have all this be over with and, and be done with? I'd appreciate that. If you have a need this morning that we can help you with, if you need the prayers and support of this church family, if, if we can help you in any way, if you're ready to start a daily walk with God and you want to study about that or you want to be baptized, we certainly want to take care of that. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?